Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to this Speaking from Our Hearts podcast episode where it is my immense pleasure, um, and I say that from a personal perspective as well, uh, to be interviewing a gentleman from Nevada in the USA by the name of Dr. Kent Sasse. And Dr. Sasse is going to speak to us today about type 2 diabetes and quite um, quite a controversial title for some, maybe, uh, but there's a sting in the tail, so bear with us. And the title is this. Type 2 diabetes is reversible. So without further ado, Dr. Sassy, a very, very warm welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's such a pleasure to to get to talk with you. Um, you know, when I learned I was going to get to talk to you, I uh, went online, of course, and saw what great work you've been doing. And uh, I really admire a lot of the podcasts. The titles, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to them, but I certainly appreciate the, the kinds of things you're bringing, bringing to people. So, so thank you and thanks for the chance to, to come on. Our pleasure, absolutely. Particularly around this, um, this controversial, you know, I keep using that word, that, this controversial subject of diabetes. Um, if we can just kind of, for the benefit of the listeners, Dr. Sasse, I, and I'm reading from your sort of your biography here around a little bit, you know, for to inform our listeners about your background. Um, the obese, uh, director of the Obesity Prevention Foundation, a not-for-profit organization formed in 2006, dedicated to the prevention of obesity and excessive weight gain in children and adolescents. I mean, there's there's a strong connection, isn't there, between diabetes and and that, um, you know, and obesity and excessive weight gain, etc. Yeah, there certainly is. Um, as you know, and as probably a lot of your listeners know, um, obesity is an epidemic that's on the rise, but but so is type two diabetes, and they're very much intertwined. Um, there may be a little bit of the type 2 diabetes explosion that is explained by other phenomena, but really nearly all of it is explained by obesity and by the changes in our uh, environment and food supply that we refer to as the obesogenic environment or qualities. And so those two kind of twin epidemics are just escalating unabated. Um, and yes, a number of years ago, we we looked around and thought, my God, we're in a good position to be able to um, try to make a little difference of, of, on this problem at the front end. And, and we began um, doing some programs to try to reach children and their parents and their teachers. Uh, so we continue to work at that a little bit. Hmm. OK, so from your research, then um, your experience, uh, Dr. Sasse, obviously, as an American, I mean, you, you know, you know what happens in your own country. I mean, are there comparable statistics for the UK and the US? I mean, you know, or does or is it that diabetes doesn't really care about geography? It is what it is and it will affect people wherever. 
I think you stated it quite nicely there. I don't think it cares much about geography. Um, the UK and the US uh, uh, have virtually the same kinds of statistics. Um, today, there are about 30 million people in the United States with type 2 diabetes, full-blown type 2 diabetes. And uh, I believe it's about five or six million in the UK. Uh, similar proportions in most of the developed world. And the, uh, the less developed world is not far behind, you know, the kind of a sort of spread of uh, all sorts of things, technological, agricultural, and societal uh, are reaching the, the entire globe. So we're seeing an escalation in type 2 diabetes around the world now. Mm. So just, just to share an insight, in, in real layman's terms, Dr. Sassy, what's the fundamental difference between type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes? Well, um, most of the diabetes that we're all seeing is type 2 diabetes, around 95% of it um, in our respective countries. Um, and what's happening there is that the, the cells in the body, uh, the, the primary problem is that the cells in the body become resistant to our own natural insulin. And that's the hormone that helps the circulating blood sugar get into the cells and do its job to provide energy for the cells. And so when those cells won't accept the insulin, then they stop working properly and you get all this extra blood sugar circulating around in the blood. And it goes on to cause all sorts of damage. And we can talk about that a little bit. Whereas in type one diabetes, this is something that um, is sometimes referred to as juvenile onset diabetes. Um, and it's more of an autoimmune problem where the body has attacked its own insulin producing cells in the pancreas. So we don't have the natural insulin, but the results are the same in the sense that the blood sugar in the bloodstream goes sky high and it does all this damage on the other organs. So they both get there to elevated blood sugars, but they get there by different ways. And for type two, which is type two, which is as I say, what, about 95% of us are battling. Um, it's very weight-related, um, but it's also related to our genetics and our family history, and it's also very age-related. So it's kind of those three factors, age, your genetics, and, and body weight. Those are really the big contributors. Okay. So why isn't it enough to treat type 2 diabetes using traditional treatment um, pharmaceuticals, for example, and, and finger sticks? Ah, there, you, there you've really hit on it. So this is the, the real uh, argument that needs to be made and, and it's very upsetting to the uh, kind of the current standard uh, thinking. Um, as you said, that is really what most uh, doctors and healthcare providers today um, are focused on and they're, uh, they're very much uh, uh, part of, a, of a, a, a kind of thinking that's influenced uh, to no small degree by the pharmaceutical industry that um, serves us with medications that control the blood sugar. But the real answer to that question has come from excellent research done in the last uh, decade or so that shows quite clearly that even if we are very diligent and we follow our doctor's advice and we take our pills and we take our shots if necessary and we do our finger sticks and we monitor that blood sugar uh, closely and we're perfect in everything we do in that realm, we are not stopping the organ damage that is like a silent sort of silent woodpecker that's back there chipping away at, at the kidneys and the retinas and the 
small vessels in the toes and all the things that the diabetes does in the background. Unless we truly aim at the root cause and we can create a true reversal or remission uh, or cure, we could say the word cure um, in many cases, unless we aim for that, uh, we're just controlling the blood sugar. And uh, I find it really difficult. I speak to medical audiences frequently and I find it difficult to dislodge them from this very traditional, very deeply ingrained thinking that we're doing our best if we're just controlling the number and we're, we're using all the finest medicines. Um, that's not stopping the clock on the, on the damage that's being done. So that, that's really, you've really hit on the, the nugget of, of, the, uh, of the problem. Mm, okay. And, and, and with a lot of um, challenging medical situations, uh, Dr. Sasser, there's always some kind of myth and counter myth. Um, and I would actually probably go as far as hysteria that, you know, because people are fearful, aren't they? We're all, always fearful of the unknown. So what would you say are the three deadly myths when it comes to someone's type 2, di type two diabetes? <laughs> um, well, I think, uh, so I, I see a, a lot of people, you know, all, all walks of life, and uh, you just hear um, from so many different people, and what emerges is a, a picture of things that they've been told often um, by the medical community. And one of the first ones is that uh, there's a myth that, that it's your fault, that this is really kind of you're to blame for uh, where you are and that the blood sugar's too high. And, um, and for most people, um, that's really not the case. Uh, it's true that um, certainly we all deserve uh, you know, some blame and some credit for uh, where our, how our fitness is and what sort of shape our bodies have gotten into. But once the body has um, put on extra pounds and developed insulin resistance, uh, it is a, uh, it's a, it's a very entrenched sort of biological mechanism that then tries hard to protect that and keep that, uh, keep that in place where the body weight is elevated and the blood sugars are elevated and the insulin resistance stays there. And so telling these folks, oh, you know, it's, it's your fault. And geez, if you just were better about um, your diet and your exercise and taking your medicines and pricking your finger and checking your blood sugar, then you would have this all under control. Um, but the truth is so much more complex. As I say, there are the genetic influences, our our blood sugar rises with age in many cases, and certainly body weight is no easy thing to reduce for the vast majority of people. Um, so I'd like to tell people in the beginning to, listen, you, you know, let yourself off the hook here. This is widely recognized now as a disease process, and if it does stem from overweight or obesity, we know that's a disease too, so we need to approach it like we do other diseases. Let's look at solutions, and let's try to really look at the, the root cause of it instead of sort of making you feel bad that you, you know, you aren't doing better uh, on this in your personal life. Um, so that's what I call myth number one is that it's their fault. Um, have you run across that? Have you run across um, people feeling like it's their fault or, or people in, in your life? Very much so, because I've had that, um, I mean, you know, the, the invitation, uh, that question there, Dr. Sassy, is perfect timing because I've actually had personal experience of this and exactly what you've just referred to on this pre-diabetes pre pre scenario, I think it was back in 
2003 where it was something as innocuous I was going to actually secure a taxi badge to become a taxi driver I'd just finished university and I was just looking for you know a sort of uh, maybe a 12-month income just to get back on my feet before I, I made my next serious career move and, and taxiing seemed to be the most obvious one so I went for a medical and I was refused my badge on the grounds of um, I'd got type 2 diabetes of which uh, the doctor said to me, well, do you know what this is? And I said, I probably can't even spell diabetes, let alone know what it is. Um, and he asked me all these in-depth questions. And I said, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Not a clue. Um, anyway, as I say, re, you know, he refused to give me a badge, referred me to my GP. And um, yeah, there was a long... Um, there was a long story that follows that, which I'm sure we can we can kind of weave in, but I'm very keen to dig down and tap in, Dr. Sassy, to your knowledge, your experience, your insights, obviously for the benefit of the listener. So if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll, I'll go a bit deeper on that, but I want to kind of bring you back, if I may, to obviously, you know, you've alluded to one aspect there of uh, the three deadly myths and ask you, if I may, to kind of continue what those others may be. Well, sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm keen to ask you a few more things about that. Mm. So, well, the, the, the second um, myth is, um, is that many people sometimes think that, uh, and their doctors think that there is a program or a, a medicine or a, a solution that solves all the problems of diabetes. And, um, and the truth is that um, they are not solving the problem by uh, getting on what I, what I refer to as the diabetes medication trap. Um, what instead happens is that the very well-intentioned, very, I'm not disparaging the, the doctors, or the ones I know and love here are, are certainly working hard and doing their best to help people, but, but we're trained to treat this problem um, kind of like we treat other problems, like blood pressure, for example. We, we take a number, we see that that number is too high, and we're trained to treat the number, basically. So that means uh, we prescribe some medicines on our prescription pad, and then next time you come in, we check the number again, and we want it to be lower. And it couldn't be more true for diabetes. So the myth is that that is a successful treatment plan. And as I was saying earlier, we've got wonderful studies from brilliant researchers who've done uh, very in-depth work with huge numbers of patients now and the benefit of excellent computer systems, great centers, sharing data across countries, and published in many of the very widest read, most prestigious journals that show if people do seek a total reversal of the type 2 diabetes, their future is markedly healthier with far fewer heart attacks and renal failure and blindness and amputations and mortality risk than compared to the people who are directly under their doctor's care and who are pricking their finger and checking their blood sugar and taking all the medicines. And uh, even though they're doing what is kind of the current paradigm, they're not succeeding at reducing those risks nearly to the point where they should be. Um, so I think myth number two is that this kind of standard treatment regimen or algorithm or, or theory that we mostly are operating under today um, 
yes, we need to diet. Yes, we need to exercise. Yes, we need to quit smoking. But here's all these medications, and we're going to follow the blood sugar number. That just isn't enough. So mm. myth number two is we've got to aim higher. We've got to aim for a total reversal or a remission or, dare I say, cure of the type 2 diabetes if we're going to make the big difference in that person's life. Yeah. Yeah. Understand that. Um, and at that point, it might be um, appropriate um, for me to go a bit further on my personal journey. Um, yeah. Can I ask, Chris, very briefly, how old were you when you uh, got that un unwelcome news uh, on the taxi physical exam? Um, it was in 2002 stroke three. Um, so I would have been... Um, well, my mental arithmetic. Oh, how old would I have been? Um, 40, 43, 42, 43. And most people have no symptoms um, when they're told this. Was that the case for you, or had you had anything that you were wondering about or thinking might have been off with your health? No, nothing at all. I mean, you know, I have for most of my life um, fought a, an alcohol addiction. I'm 10 years dry now. Uh, and I've, you know, I've approached the, the conquering of that uh, with the same mindset that I did with the diabetes. And, and I stress that word there, mindset. Um, but at the time, you know, I was, you know, I think I'd conditioned myself to become what I, I now offer as a born survivor. Uh, and part of that crutch then was alcohol, um, at, at, you know, so I was on that, you know, um, I was overweight. Um, yeah, that, that, that was, a, alcohol was a key part of my life and, and a binging alcoholic as well. Not that I kind of now embrace Dr. Sussy, that, that label of I am an alcoholic because I don't embrace labels full stop. Um, mm -hmm. and that's one of the, the the big lessons I've learned, you know, since those, um, you know, sort of, well, probably nearly 20 years ago now. Um, it really did instigate a real kind of radical rethink of my whole life. You know, what's going off in this world? Because my world was one of uh, what I call black and white. So when I was in a black destructive phase through to my conditioning, my mindset of deserving this issues, there was all kinds of psychological stuff that underpinned that and dragged me down. Um, yeah. But it was self-destruct based on my upbringing as a child. You know, that lack of self-love, that lack of self-care, self-respect, uh, self-forgiveness because of the uh, the treatment of my stepfather from a very early age. So I was drinking at a very, very early age, became conditioned in this volatile con concoction of violence as well, because that what I was taught at a very early age, and it just sent me on a, um, a downward spiral for many years. However, my white phases where it was just motivated, not inspired, motivated to stop that downward spiral, I would then through sheer discipline and guts and willpower, I would prolong myself to a white period of abstinence. But I couldn't sustain it because, it, you know, there was too many deep-rooted deep issues. Hence then the reversion back to the black phase, back on the drink, back on park benches, sabotage everything that I'd gained in the white period, and this whole topsy-turvy existence now this was a guy that had done well in his white periods very successful career moves 
very successful academic uh, track record, raised serious amounts of money for not-for-profits, charities, done loads of stuff, but couldn't sustain it because of the reasons I've mentioned. So, yeah, to get this news at, um, yeah, I was 43, that actually, do you know, it, and also, do you know it's a life-threatening illness and you could, and a lot of people die and you need to do this and you need to do that. And my take upon it on the time, Dr. Sassy, was, I'm the wrong type of person you need to be telling. I don't jump to orders. You bark at me, I'll bite you back. And that's where I was in those days. Um, you know, so there's been this whole journey of discovery. That's why, you know, when the opportunity arose for us to have this conversation, to say I welcomed it with open arms would be an absolute understatement. <laughs> that's it interesting and uh well that's a credit to you if i if i sense where this story is going um uh, that's that's quite quite impressive um and i often get to hear amazing things of, of my patients i'm i'm so lucky to be able to meet with them in an office and uh you know people share things that they may not share with many others in their in their whole life but but they'll share them with me because i'm just here to help them try to figure out solutions and so i often feel um, tremendously uh, blessed to hear um, the stories and the uh, the great difficulties that um, people face and sometimes those play in very closely into the condition that I'm really seeing them for, the medical condition. If it's type 2 diabetes and obesity, I'll learn that there's so much beneath it. And, um, yeah. and that, too, plays into how we approach the problem. Um, and, and it does involve, I mean, I'm, many centers are like ours where we, we actually employ uh, several psychologists and a multidisciplinary team right there in the office so that, you know, I can't say that we solve all of these problems, of course, that would just be hubris, but it, we at least try to delve into each aspect and how it contributes so that we can try to help those people work at it in the way you've worked at it. Mm -hmm. um, because we're aiming for a, a victory, we're aiming for a total reversal, we're not aiming for just uh, controlling the blood sugar and keeping them on uh, you know, an ever, everlasting and ever increasing list of medications. Yes, and, and I understand that and, and totally, um, not only understand it, Dr. Sassy, but totally embrace it and commit to it. Because for me, certainly, I think one of the legacies of my black and white upbringing was if there is a challenge on, then let's go to war. Let's not mess about and look for little moral victories. If this is serious enough, let's go for, to use a boxing term, let's go for that killer knockout blow. And that's how I, you know, I approach this diabetes thing after years of being what I perceived, rightly or wrongly, as being a guinea pig uh, with all these different medications. And as I say, at one stage I was on, uh, even, even as recently, relatively recently as 2010, I was on nine tablets a day. And, and it, was, it was ridiculous, you know, and, and the, you know, the the readings, as you've alluded to earlier on, you know, the benchmark, as I call it, was was consistent. They were OK. Well, to me, it's like I don't want OK because I'm still a relatively, you know, young man now. What about when I get older? You know, this needs, 
you know, this needs to be blasted out of the water. And I, and I felt intuitively that the only way I could do that um, was adopt a very holistic approach rather than just papering over the cracks and controlling it. It's like, no, no. Um, my very simple take on it was if cancer can be beat, I'm damn sure diabetes can. And I say that from a personal point of view, Dr. Sassy, because I lost my mother to, to cancer at a very young uh, age of 64. And I watched the anguish that went with that. And I thought, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm this for me now, this is not only a battle, this is a war. And there's only going to be one winner. So as was my survival um uh, sort of mechanism that I developed over the years because of my stark challenges it was like okay I'm going to go to war on this and I will throw everything at it and there is only going to be one victor because I am no longer going to become a victim to this thing called diabetes or any of its associate family for that matter mm. um, however nice brave fighting words Dr Sassy but in practical <laughs> terms how are you going to do that then Paul yeah, you got yourself fired up. Now you're inspired. You're not only motivated, but you're inspired because the bottom line is you want to live. You know, you've got a young family and all this kind of thing and you appreciate life despite all its challenges. So I had some strong leverage underneath there or the awareness to know of that um, leverage. But I also became aware as well of the benefits of leading what I think the modern day terminology is an holistic life and I think you've already alluded to this Dr Sassy it's not just one thing that stands on its own it's a mixture of put this in the pot put that in the pot put this in the pot mix it all together and then do you know what we've got a chance of um, of winning this war right I, I absolutely agree yeah from from my side of the fence trying to help people get to where to where you uh, reached it's sometimes a very formidable journey. And um, we may be dealing with childhood traumas. We may be dealing with physical injuries that uh, permit, you know, prevent a person from uh, full mobility. Um, and we also are often dealing with a tremendous uh, reluctance sometimes or resistance to the thing we're going to get to here is talking about metabolic surgery mm. as a tool. And you mentioned cancer and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, that you lost your mother at a, at a really relatively young age from cancer, which is not always, you know, curable and treatable, but in many cases it is. And in many cases, the key step in it, uh, is surgery where, um, you know, surgery has become less and less invasive over time. And most of us, if we were told that, um, you know, we've got some bad news here today, there's a tumor, it's located here, and these are the treatments that we have available, but the best treatment is surgery, and we, we conduct the procedure like this, and we remove this, and these are the pros and cons, but it gives us the best chance of cure. Most of us really wouldn't debate it too much. We would we would proceed ahead and, as you say, try to fight right back and, and try to win and, and have a victory. But today we have this really tremendous kind of resistance um, to metabolic surgery that reverses type 2 diabetes. And it stems from a whole bunch of kind of angles. 
Um, but mostly it's rooted in this culture in medicine that, um, yes, we might treat cancer with surgery, but we don't treat an equally deadly disease of type 2 diabetes with surgery. Uh, we just treat that with shots and pills. Mm. And I run into that all the time with, um, you know, physicians with whom I interact. And I'll, I'll explain the data and uh, what we do in this 45-minute surgery and how life-changing it is, just like removing a tumor is. And I can just see this <laughs> this resistance, despite 30 years of science and, and data and big studies, them saying, well, we just treat the diabetes with shots and pills. And um, so it's a difficult culture. Uh, uh, so it's a, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting conversation and I'm, I'm eager to kind of explore it with you too, as somebody who fought it um, in the more uh, direct path of improving your overall life and changing uh, body weight, exercise, alcohol consumption, it sounds like, and I'm guessing other things in your diet. Mm. Um, what if you had gotten halfway there? You know, what if your uh, numbers had come down partway, but they said, well, great job, you know, fantastic job, Paul, but, you know, you still have type 2 diabetes and it's still causing retinal damage and, and uh, you know, you're, you're looking at kind of decreasing function of your kidneys over these coming years. Um, but good job. Keep at it. We just want you on these shots and pills. Would you have said something like, well, what else? Is there some way that I can attack this and really completely reverse it? Or, or do you think you would have felt content uh, at that point? Um, that's a great question. With me being the car, you see, that's a fantastic question. For me, uh, the answer is very simple because I will, I'll endure so much up to a point, and then when that button is pressed, there's you know there's no appeasing. Then it's all out. Let's let's do this. Let's go for it. And so I had experienced exactly that kind of rhetoric from the. Uh, the, the you know the GPs and uh, and the the experts around this that and the other and it's like yeah you're on the right track you're doing great blah 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 well yeah but as you know has it been knocked out because I'd made that decision to you know to use that graphic terminology of go to war with this so I'm not interested in little moral victories and containing you know this is this needs to be finished and this will be finished and so that was when I kind of took that sort of decision to radically change so much in my life um i don't know if that i get the feeling that quite doesn't hit your question answers your question or, or does it <laughs> no it's 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 a it's an interesting uh challenge but i i um i think that what i'm sort of hoping to do is to have more people look at it the way you did and the way you do and think well I'm not particularly interested in a sort of never-ending, you know, uh, merry-go-round of, of drugs. And uh, I'm willing to make that personal change and fight this problem. Um, but I'm also hoping that more people will uh, look at this data and see that there is a uh, there is a path toward achieving a total remission and a total cure which um, brings tremendous long-term benefits and, and huge reductions in that risk. So that, um, 
that uh, third myth that I, uh, especially when I speak to the, the medical students and the graduate students, um, that third myth that I often put up a slide for is, um, yes, we treat this in a very holistic approach. I'm quite certain I'm the only surgeon in town who has three psychologists on our panel and aims at getting at root cause issues that are holding people back from wanting to live and wanting to exercise and wanting to eat right. Um, but uh, I'm also very clear-eyed about technology and the science today and the recognition that metabolic surgery achieves a total remission in type 2 diabetes in about 80% of people. And so, yes, we work on all fronts, but most people, by the, the ones that come to me, most of them are not able to reverse it completely uh, with lifestyle change alone. A few are, and we applaud them, and we want everyone to shoot for that. Um, and we absolutely put all our heart into that effort. Um, but most of the people who've come to see me, um, mostly because of biological factors and age, and in some cases, uh, physical disabilities and limitations, they're not able to achieve a remission through the lifestyle change, um, no matter how vigorously they uh, apply themselves. And, um, and for them, uh, foregoing metabolic surgery is like choosing to, you know, not treat that tumor, not treat that cancer with the state-of-the-art treatment. It's saying, well, I'm going to just treat it with medications and, you know, let it take its course. And so that third myth is that metabolic surgery is a, quote, risk, close quote, uh, because one of the things that we find is that metabolic surgery or weight loss surgery, which is the same procedures being done, carries with it a lot of baggage. A lot of people and a lot of uh, physicians, too, um, sort of have these notions of what the surgery was like 20 years ago, and they thought that there were too many um, complications of it, and it, perhaps it wasn't understood as well, at least in their, in their fields. And so they kind of hear a little bit about it, and they've heard that maybe it would reverse diabetes, but the whole field sounds kind of, um, it just sounds like it has some negative baggage. And so then I start to show data, and what we do today, because, you know, the pace of technology improvement is just so fast that from the 20 years ago when I first started my career after training to today, the the procedures are different, the techniques are different, and, and mostly they're just far less invasive and simpler. So that at this point today, what we're doing every, every day in the operating room is a 45-minute procedure with four Band-Aids, four small Band-Aids on the abdominal wall. And it is, for most people, it is the most life-changing uh, surgical intervention that's going on anywhere in any of the operating theaters in that moment. In our center, we have something like 28 operating rooms going all day. I guarantee you not one of those other cases going on is as life-changing as, as what we're doing in 45 minutes. And so the, the myth is that, oh, this is a, quote, risk, when really study after study, including these very large ones I'm alluding to, show that metabolic surgery today is a gigantic risk reduction. And for those people, uh, they face a procedure with less risk than most of the things they've already had done, like a C-section or knee surgery or so forth. 
and very quickly within a short period of time they're on a different trajectory of, of long-term mortality risk uh, which is far lower than had they not stepped into that operating theater um, and and getting people to aim at a cure and a victory and reduce that long-term risk uh, is really the that's sort of the biggest challenge I think right now um, it, it's it's such a hard uh, it's such a hard uh, case to kind of um, make to the primary care doctors who are <laughs> just ready with their pen to prescribe another medication for the type 2 diabetes. One of the things, Dr. Sassi, um, that struck me when you was, when you was talking um, about, you know, people's, you didn't use the word reluctance, but that's how I was reading it, to, to kind of embark upon this journey. Um, and, and, you know, I look back on my own sort of, path and decision-making processes that went with this radical life change and how I support people now with the mentoring work I do. And it is very much about, as you absolutely, in my opinion, 100% alluded to correctly, um, around this old kind of, you know, it goes deeper than the superficial, you know, let's stick a plaster on things. Um, and so when people are looking, and I use that boxing metaphor to, you know, to, to win something or achieve something or overcome something, a significant challenge, and I use that quite sort of, you know, confrontational language deliberately of going to war and achieving victory, I know from the psychology point of view how complacent we can be, if we're not careful, to have nearly won the war. Um and, and that, for me, is a great metaphor for me to say to people and use the example of, okay, so you're walking around, your, your path's a lot lighter now, but you've still got a pebble in your shoe. And that pebble, you're there, but you're not quite there. It's only a little thing, but if you don't remove that pebble, you're going to continue your journey with pain. And so for me, the whole language and, you know, your psychology guys, I'm sure will understand this um, completely because that's been one of the very, very strong underpinning influences, you know, that set me free from this, Dr. Sassy. It really has that kind of understanding of the, you know, the human mind and the power of it. And actually, you know, the fact that, yes, the mind, I mean, I treat my mind now as my best friend. I am not governed by my mind. My mind does not tell me what to do. It's my best friend. Um, and that was, you know, I don't want to go too far off away from obviously our, you know, our focus of our conversation. But this whole, you know, this whole holistic approach, um, it, it, it is absolutely that. Because I think, you know, to revert that back to this war, you don't win any war with just one tactic. It's a case of, OK, we've got this in place. We've got that in place. Um, so long as we knit that together with the right strategy, then we become a formidable force. And that's very much how I thought my way around and uh, around this, this challenge and overcome it. I, that's a beautiful way of describing this particular disease. Uh, you know, so I think we a lot of us go into surgery hoping that um, we've got the quick fix, the easy thing. You know, we the uh, the simple appendectomy and we ride in and take out the bad part and patch them up and, and then everything is fixed. Uh, but type two diabetes is a completely different 
problem. And I, I think what you just said is uh, a tremendous way of viewing the problem. It's a, it's a war that has to be fought uh, on many fronts. And, um, and I wish that we uh, in medicine, you know, were better at um, kind of uh, turning on that, that light bulb that, that went on for you. Um, it's, I think that's a, a very elusive um, and sort of underutilized and, <laughs> and untapped uh, tremendous resources. Someday, if we're able to do better at, um, at helping people reach that, that point, um, because of course, you know, what, what you do in your own life for yourself and on your own is, is more powerful in most cases than, than what the doctors do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very, it's a really interesting, I love this field because of that. I, I think that, um, I sure, I mean, you know, I'm a surgeon, I like to go fix people's problems and, and there's a certain amount of that kind of thing where, uh, we, we take out a bad part or we fix something that's blocked and, uh, we're happy with the good plumbing outcome. But, um, but this disease is what, uh, I spend the vast majority of my time on. Um, and I think most of the people that I see become our patients for life and we, we want to see them forever. And it's because this is a forever battle. Um, and we try to inspire that same kind of, uh, attitude. Hearing you say it, I, I think it's kind of, I, I'm making notes here that, about some language I might be able to use to um, to do a better job kind of engaging the uh, sort of battle victory mentality that you're describing. Um, but for most people, this is a tough fight among many fights that they have going on. And, um, uh, but we just keep, we just keep battling on all fronts. Um, and that's really what this particular disease requires and other things too, of course, in life, other diseases, but, but type two diabetes in particular, uh, it's something that, uh, you have to work at, uh, with tremendous long-term diligence. It's never really going away. It's always going to be lurking out there. Um, you know, if we aren't diligent over the long haul on maintaining a regular, uh, life of increased exercise, um, I, I was, one of the things that I'm, of telling people, I have thousands of people in my practice who have completely reversed their diabetes, nearly all of them with surgery, but surgery is only a part of it. They've had to battle in addition. And so, you know, I do this small part that takes 45 minutes and it unlocks the metabolism that's been holding them back, but then they have to do their part to increase that exercise and to follow the diet guidelines we've given. And that's difficult. That's a that's a really difficult battle. So a lot of what we're doing when we're seeing people in long-term follow-up is trying to inspire and encourage and challenge people to continue the, continue the battle. And one thing I'm fond of saying to the, those patients of mine is first of all, you have to be exercising seven days a week and uh, that gets a few eyebrows raised on the first meetings, but then they've heard me say it enough times down the road that they know I'm going to say that. But another way of putting it, I always say is if you aren't exercising at an amount and a level and a duration that seems unreasonable to you personally, seems totally unreasonable, then you probably aren't doing enough because, because this, 
environment that is uh, pushing us toward type 2 diabetes and obesity, it's relentless and the kind of the degree to which we have to be fighting back is much greater than most people are uh, sort of prepared for. And But once they get it, once they understand that it really takes a dedicated all-out fight, that's when you really see the most, yeah, just the most exciting, you know, victories, as you put it, the most exciting uh, cases where people have reversed this problem and um, and you see them year after year after year and they're continuing that mindset. <laughs> Do you find it hard uh, to stay on this path that you've uh, won, that you've created for yourself? Do you find it challenging to, to keep at it and keep the diabetes at bay? No, not at all. It's, it's not even thought about. It's not because I'm in a, a, a mindset now, Dr. Sassi, where my work is, is not about me. I mean, I suppose through my my own kind of, um, dare I say, spiritual development of um, of who I actually am. Um, and I've spent, um, you know, quite a bit of time studying um, from a very famous Indian-American guy in Colgsbad, California, on Deepak Chopra, about his holistic medicine approach. So I'm aware of that. Um, and that practical, that real practical, you know, I've gained a lot of insights and I can speak in a in a very soft, warm, loving um, way. Because I believe that, you know, when we speak about the undercurrents of this relatively superficial level problem, and, and I use that contrasting language in um, that controversial language, because the point I'm trying to make and, you know, reinforce Dr. Sassawav, it is a holistic approach. But when we dig right down to it, it's a stark choice um, between fear and love and, you know, that that motivation and that inspiration. So once we become aware of the rules of the game, then we can set ourselves up for success, because I think the you know certainly from a lot of conversations i have um with people in general about all kinds of aspects and some of them on obviously this um speaking from our hearts podcast it's um people do not trust the system now that's a massive generalization yes they might have a generally good relationship with their gp or or counselor whoever but generally there's this distrust um, or the perceived distrust of authority and the system. Now, what I challenge that with, and we're going, we're going a little bit deep and a little bit off patty, but at the same time, it's relevant, um, is actually what you're really saying is you, you don't trust yourself. You're fearful of yourself. And I have to be careful not to project and, you know, um, go too much into my own subjectivity of my own upbringing um, but when I recount that experience and then amalgamate that with the research I've done and then speak spoken to so many hundreds and hundreds of people about various challenges like type 2 diabetes uh, and addiction and alcoholism, which is another one that I've overcome with this mindset. When I, when I strip it all back, Dr. Sassy, it comes down to a very sort of, dare I say, black and white conscious choice of, yeah, it's about that love or fear and if we if we stay if we stay in this fear driven oh well it's okay i'm in a bit of a pain and i've nearly beat diabetes well no you've still got a pebble in your shoe and then that's why i use this deliberate confrontational look let's go all out if we're going to get in the ring there's only make that mindset choice now because it is a killer 
And if you think you've got it on the canvas, just beware when your back's turned because it'll get up and it'll hit you at the back of the head and it will knock you out when you should have knocked it out. And so that kind of belies this whole approach to love because I believe that by this, this journey of love and self-discovery of, you know, this acceptance, this self-acceptance that actually, do you know what, as human beings, it's actually okay, you know, Paul, to make a mistake rather than living in this very rigid, controlled world um, and this need for certainty, which was born out of fear because of my upbringing. And so embrace your vulnerability and embrace the fact that, do you know what? Let's, but we talk about myths, Dr. Sassy. Let's blow this one wide open. Do you know what? <laughs> Big boys do cry, you know. And it took me, I think I was in my late 20s before I actually cried. So there's all this kind of psychological stuff that's going off underneath before, I believe, before we even start to make a conscious decision about, you know, do I pack up the drink? Do Will I overcome diabetes? You know, I'm fighting cancer or whatever it is, you know, um, I'm not a medical person, but I am a mindset person and I know the power of that. And I'm not saying it's the only answer, but I tell you what, it's a formidable thing to take into war with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, we do uh, some studies uh, uh, on all of the folks who, who come in to see us and battle diabetes. And it's, it's really striking. We have a very high percentage, and it's not unique to our practice. This is around the world, but uh, about 35% of the people who are coming to see me for uh, reversal of type 2 diabetes and obesity um, score uh, very high on these measures. These are uh, tests, basically validated instruments that ask us questionnaires about childhood trauma and about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and major psychological diagnoses. So 35% of people have um, rather significant uh, childhood adverse events or childhood traumas or post-traumatic stress disorder just walking in, just coming in the door. <laughs> and we know that um, doing work to start to um, dig into that and, and see if we can't empower each of these folks to, um, to begin to work toward uh, uh, being the, the, their best selves and, and trying to overcome those things and not be held back by them and not continue to be victimized by them. Um, that's very much one of our goals. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a big challenge to take on um, and it's, it's a shame that we don't have a better mechanism and, you know, the health system is just not geared at all toward trying to, um, to tap into that power. Did you have, did you find that the doctors or the health system were, uh, helpful in allowing you to make that transformation or was that something that you just did very much on your own? No, I did it on my own and, and more, you know, I don't want to be disparaging of the um, the UK NHS, um, so I'll be quite. <laughs> <You're allowed> to. <laughs> um, but I'll be quite diplomatic here. But basically, it was like throw a tablet at the problem, um, and that's it. 
hence my kind of autocratic, well, okay, I'll go solo and I'll form my own army, my own mentality, and I will conquer this. And that's what happened. So it was very, I think, fair. It was quite sort of stark, Dr. Sassy, the way I initially approached it, as it was with so many other things that, you know, I think I've, you know, when I look back at sort of, and this is certainly not an ego trip, so I, you know, I sincerely hope it doesn't come across that way, but rather it comes across as an inspiration to say to people, do you know what, with with help and support from the right people and that real meta, metaphoric arm around the shoulder to know that somebody really does care. You know, as particular, I'm flying off at a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, people that find themselves homeless at the moment, you know, I have countless conversations, you know, with, with, with those people that uh, unfortunately find themselves uh, in that predicament for whatever reason. And, you know, invariably the root cause, and I know we talked about this earlier on, Dr. Sassy, about the root cause, it's like, well, don't let's treat the sort of the superficial level. Let's get down to the root cause. I call I call it cultivating the garden because in life, you know, there's this in, in, in this beautiful world that we live in, you know, there's there's seeds flying around and they'll take they'll take root in a beautiful flower bed and some of those are weeds, and those weeds, if they're not cultivated, will strangle the beautiful blooming flowers that I believe inherently we are as people. And I really do believe that across the board. I think some of us lose our way because we've been strangled by so many weeds that we've lost our identity and we think we are a weed. And so, OK, well, I may as well look, I've been strangled. So I might I may as well be, you know, if you can't beat them, join them and all this cliched approach stuff. And it's this whole radical approach to taking people back to who they really are at their true core self and showing them that love and that compassion. And this comes from a guy that's been at the sharp end. So I'm not saying this, Dr. Sassy, from a point of view of some idealistic 60s type hippie that's peace, man, the world's a beautiful place. I do believe the world is a beautiful place, but I've got a lot of battle scars to prove that it's a beautiful place. So I come from this, dare I say, from a pragmatic point of view rather than an idealistic point of view. And that's my passion. That's my vision. You know, my old brand around helping everybody achieve results towards success. The HEARTS acronym is around let's dig down and find out, you know, and in the most respectful way, I totally identified with what you've said there about, you know, your client group with this child trauma. You know, that's very much my 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 history my experience but it's putting that into context because one of the things i've learned and this is certainly not undermining anybody's journey experience from the past or even present for that matter but what i've learned to accept personally is it's a story it's an experience and like the sun and the rain and the darkness and the light, it will come and it will go and it will come and it will go. The only ever constant is us. And so it's about changing this whole approach and this whole mindset to life. And then I think once we've got that lower level, you know, it's a bit like a laptop with a virus. It's no good changing the word, the words on the word program you've got. You've got to go down into the C drive. And sometimes actually you might need a new hard drive in there. That's fine. As so long as we don't lose the laptop. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, those are uh, those are really nice ways of uh, that I think do intersect a lot with the people that we're working with, and and many of them, uh, 
a great many, you know, I, I mean, I mentioned that many are struggling with uh, challenges that they haven't perhaps even dealt with and that the health and medical system hasn't even helped them uh, start to look at that are very fundamental and would be important in empowering them. But, you know, a lot of them actually are doing a wonderful job. Um, I have a couple of people come to mind um, who are very, you know, wonderful people. They're successful in their careers and in their relationships and in their uh, all of the things that they're doing uh, and nurturing their young people and doing everything really darn well. Um, but from a biology point of view, they struggle with obesity and they struggle with type 2 diabetes. And so I don't want to, you know, make it seem like all of these folks, you know, we can solve it just by tackling the uh, tackling the childhood trauma. For many of them, this really is just a disease to just like, you know, just like uh, so many other conditions that, you know, we, we face in life and that we treat in medicine. And, um, but definitely there's also people like, <laughs> there's a guy that I see almost every day. I saw him this morning, which is making me laugh. He's a security guard at one of the hospitals. And this morning I was up making my rounds before I came over here to the office to talk with you. And um, it was about, I want to say it was about 12 or maybe 13 years ago that um, he came to see me. He's taking uh, multiple medicines for his type 2 diabetes. And um, he's a security guard, but, you know, he was the kind of guy who's always sort of sitting plopped down in front of the monitor and watching all the security screens. And um, really, you know, great person, great family, lots of good things going on in his life. And he did have metabolic surgery, but he also really embraced uh, some of what you're talking about. Um, and now, you know, he's the kind of security guard that is always on his feet and he's constantly making the rounds of the property and he still does not have any return of his diabetes. So, you know, 12, 13 years later, after his doctors told him he was on a never ending cycle of medications and finger sticks, but he's shown them that that's not true, just as just as I think you've shown your doctors <laughs> that that need not be true. Mm. Um, so sometimes it takes all all elements, but I think a big key to his success is changing his life. And from a personal perspective, um, you know, I, I don't know all the inner workings that it took for him to uh, get up out of that seat and walk his 15,000 steps every day. But I, I bet it does involve kind of some of that self-examination that, that you're describing. I wouldn't be one bit surprised. Mm. It's a fascinating subject. And I think it's one, Dr. Sassy, we've probably even barely scratched the surface off. So um, what I would like to respectfully suggest is actually we we come to a close on this one now because I think if nothing else, we've laid a very good foundation for further discussion and I'd be more than happy to invite you back where we could dig down further and because um, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground in terms of from left to right but maybe we pick on sort of one or two aspects where we can dig down rather than sort of go wide. Because I think we've gone quite wide. It's our first conversation. It's been enthralling. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And maybe there's a type two conversation that we have 
that follows on from this. Whereas I say, we do dig down deeper on, you know, on, on wherever that conversation takes us for the betterment of the listener. <laughs> well, it is such an honor and such a pleasure to talk to you. And I would, of course, be most honored to be back anytime you would have me. So thank you so much. And, and thanks for sharing with me your story. I didn't expect that. Uh, so I made some notes here. Uh, I think I'm going to take a few points here into into what we deliver to uh, to people we're trying to help. Well, what I'll do, Dr. Sass, if it's okay with you, I mean, obviously the recording's uh, coming to an end now, or this particular episode's coming to an end. But uh, if we can stay on air um, off air, so to speak, and we can kind of lay the foundation and the dates for, uh, you know, a further, you know, um, follow on conversation and strike while the iron's still metaphorically hot. Oh, of course, I'd be happy to. Okay, so the final thing I need to ask you then, um, if people want to, to contact you, Dr. Sassy, what are your details? How can people find out more about you, the work you do? You know, what are your contact details? Probably the best is, of course, we all have our websites. Mine is sassysurgical.com, so www.sassysurgical, just the words all run together there, .com. And then, you know, that there's links out to the foundation and to the all sorts of things, the blog and uh, that sort of material. But that'd be an easy way. And there's a contact button on there and that'll get right to me. So that would be a great way. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed for your insights, your expertise and your time. Thank you. Thank you. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.